Hello and welcome to the HuffPost Commons People podcast with me, Paul War, Ned Simons and Martha Gill. This week, most of the nation's children and parents have been enjoying a half-term break. But in Hogwarts, SW1, there's been no rest for the wicked. From Heathrow's third runway being cleared for takeoff to Brexit by-election, from Michael Gove's comeback to the forgotten war in Yemen, it's been a busy few days. First up is Heath Rao. Or Heathrow, see what I did there? Um, the, the worst kept secret and in government is that the airport was finally going to be expanded and it was confirmed by the Cabinet Subcommittee this week and Chris Grayling told MPs it was going to be Heathrow, not Gatwick, uh, that would be expanded. Now, Zach Goldsmith got to his feet in the Commons to explain that he wasn't very happy. I have to tell you, Mr Speaker, there are so many questions one could ask in a statement of this sort. I wouldn't even know where to begin, so I simply use this opportunity to put my absolute opposition on the record. Curiously, Zach didn't announce that he was resigning in the House of Commons. Um, and that was honour was left to him telling his local constituency association. Now, Martha, you had the scoop on this. Um, exactly what was the thinking behind that? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the second worst kept secret um, in Westminster that Zach was going to resign. He's always said he was going to do it. Um, he, uh, but he kind of in the sort of big lead-up to this, uh, this this announcement that he was going to resign, all kinds of uh, leaks got out. So when he finally did it, um, everyone already knew. Um, and he but told the, his association he before told he told the House of Commons. Yes, yes, indeed. Odd, well, I mean, it kind of... Uh, he's had a lot of backing from, um, from his association, also neighbouring um, constituencies and MPs um, over his decision. Um, and they, there are rumours that some of them might even come out and campaign for him. Um, as an independent, uh, which should be very unusual. Yeah. Uh, the, the Tories also—it's also unusual that the Tories have not, uh, not, not slapped him uh, down about about this, or, or anyone else who has supported him. Um, and it, thirdly, unusual that they haven't put up a candidate against him, and, and I hear that they don't intend to. Yeah. It was a strange moment in the Commons. I mean, he could have... I mean, we all know Zach's not the best politician. Yeah. He's not the best campaigner. He showed that in the mayoral elections <laughs> in lots of ways. But, you know, he, he, all the sketch writers that were in, and so was I, and he did. He sounded like a wet, damp... Yeah, it was, it was a bit damp, wasn't cloth, it? it? You know. You sort of you were poised there to write down this explosive condemnation of Heathrow and why he stands, you know, what he's going to do. It was just a bit... Yeah, <laughs> it was more whimper than bang, wasn't it? And if though, if he does get defeated... His final words in the House of the Commons as an <laughs> MP are the ones you've just heard, which is <laughs> the supreme anti-climax. It's a sort of his, so sort of his calm persona. It makes it look like he doesn't care. I mean, when yeah. he was running for mayor, it's a similar kind of problem he had, where it just looked like he wasn't that bothered. When he was against Sadiq, who sort of runs around everywhere, and he's kind of like energizer bunny sort of approach to, to campaigning, compared to Zach, who just seems quite... He's quite languid, yeah. isn't he? He's very... Yeah. It's a sort of shy diffidence as well, but, um, you know, if you're a politician, you're a politician. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing is, I mean, declaration here, I am one of his constituents, so I will be getting all this uh, stuff through my letterbox for the next few weeks. And this morning, um, the government chief whip has moved the, the writ for the by-election, mm. so it's formally going to happen, and it will be happening on December the 1st. It's going to be a short, sharp campaign precisely to stop the Lib Dems from building up momentum. Now, Ned, yeah. that's because they want to turn it into a Brexit yeah, referendum. I, mean, I think they? the Lib Dems, they're, they're feeling quite confident and they're not they're saying it as well they're raising expectations with this they're not just sort of behind the scenes saying oh we think we've got a good chance we don't want to kind of say we do in case we lose they're publicly saying 
you know, we think we've got a really good chance here. I think uh, a good quote from a sort of senior Lib Dem is, you know, we threw the kitchen sink at Whitney, the David Cameron's constituency, we're going to throw the, like a five-story townhouse yeah. at Richmond mm. because they're going to make it all about Brexit, they think. Zach Goldsmith, who was for Brexit, um, they reckon they can focus on that, get the kind of 48 percenters in, in Richmond, which is actually, it's not 48 percent, it's a lot more than that. Oh, it's, it's a majori- 72 yeah, percent. It's, it's a large majority yeah. for Remain. So they make it about that. They, can, they feel quite confident they can, they can take, um, take Zach out. And Martha, do you think that, I mean, say the Lib Dems do it. Say they have this seismic by-election victory, like all their famous ones from years gone by, from Christchurch to Eastleigh to Romney, Romsey. Um, say they do it in Richmond Park, and it becomes another, you know, um, notch on the Lib Dem by-election bedpost. What do you think Theresa May would do? It, would she then pause for thought, thinking, oh, God, I won't go for a snap election in the spring after all. I could lose all these Lib Dem seats in the southwest. Or will she actually think, no, nah, actually, I'm so far ahead of Labour. I'm going to go for it anyway. I reckon probably the latter. All the the signs are beginning to point towards a, a May um, election. Tories are apparently hiring uh, sort of organisers in key constituencies already. Some Labour MPs are gearing up for it. Um, I think one. What well, I don't think that the Tories have that much to fear from Lib Dems, even if there is an impressive surge. I mean, the, the surge would have to be pretty impressive. Also, there are, there are, there are some people who say that, that the Lib Dems don't stand much chance in, in Richmond Park cause, because of Zach's sort of personal vote there and also because of his focus on Heathrow. That's what a lot of the constituents really care about, perhaps even more than Brexit. That's true, although uh, that's slightly negated by the fact that the Lib Dems are saying, well, if you elect a Lib Dem MP, you've got an even better chance of reducing the government's majority and actually defeating this in a vote. Yeah, and and the thing is, the Lib Dems, if they don't get it, then it's going to look pretty bad for them, like Mm. I said, because they're publicly, they're they're not being shy about it, which is a dangerous game to play. It is dangerous. Anyway, on the Brexit theme, uh, Brexit was unusually this week uh, Jeremy Corbyn's main choice of topic at PMQs. He doesn't normally do it, but he did this week. Uh, Here he is explaining his search for the government's philosophical influences before Tory MP James Cleverley heckled that Karl Marx was Labour's own real favourite thinker. I think when you're searching, when you're searching for the real meaning behind and the importance behind the Prime Minister's statement, you have to consult the great philosophers. The only one I can come up with. Mr. Cleverly, calm your health yourself. You're imperiling your own health, man, which is a source of great concern to me. Jeremy Corbyn. All I can come up with, Mr. Speaker, is Baldrick, who says our cunning plan is to have no plan. Ned, how did that Baldrick <laughs> gag play I mean, out? I mean, it was okay. And again, I think by Corbyn's standard, he had quite a good PMQ. So I think third in the row, where he, he did quite well and May wasn't that great. The problem with that Baldrick gag is that. Tony Robinson, is that right? Tony Robinson, yep. the actor's name. He he, the Labour supporter who doesn't like Corbyn. Yeah. So he kind of Corbyn. He set himself up for an easy comeback for May, and then of course all the journalists then can look at his Twitter feed and think, look at all the stuff he said about Corbyn about how he's rubbish and he shouldn't be a leader. So he, why put yourself in that hole? Yeah, it made you think whether or not Corbyn's PMQs team had done their homework. You know, I mean what they mean? just thought, oh, it won't matter though because the the cunning plan joke is good enough. Yeah. The kind of the second follow up little thing mm. doesn't really matter. Which might be the case because you did see it the did get on the clips. Yeah, you did get on the it? clips. And you did see that in headlines and using it. So perhaps they thought on balance it's worth it, and it might be the right call. But yeah. it was a bit of a trap for himself. Surely like everything is. <laughs> yeah. 
Surely there's another sort of 20-year-old sitcom we could have found <laughs> to quote <laughs> from. A lower low or something. I'm sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was interesting because you're right, this week, I mean, like last week, Corbyn got a lot more goodwill from his own backbenches. PMQs these days is not the sort of, you know, the sort of tumbleweed moment on the backbenches it used to yeah, be. If People watch, are willing him on, aren't they? I think you can see it by watching Tom Watson's face. Because <laughs> for a long time, he just didn't move. Yeah. And the last couple <laughs> weeks, he's actually sort of been laughing and pulling expressions, which I think that's a signal to how... Like kind of how it's going. It's really yeah. good. It's interesting. A lot of AMP said, look, it could be a lot better. You know, he could have quoted the Guardian leaked extract, yeah. for example, of Theresa May saying to Goldman Sachs that, you know, she felt that actually, oh, yeah. you know, businesses were going to go, go abroad. There's there's lots of things I he don't could think he do. Scored sort of like any massive. But it wasn't a disaster. Yeah. I mean, that's the point. <coughs> now, Ned, you went to see John McDonnell, mm. speaking of Brexit, uh, today, and he was giving a, a speech on Labour's new uh, line on that. What is it? Well, uh, well, the first thing to say is he said breakfast three times by mistake, which <laughs> is uh, a bit of a... It's a common bit, mistake, yeah, I mean, isn't it? It's an early morning meeting. You just have to forgive him. I think it's quite easy to do, isn't it? So, I mean, his main point is that, you know, if they're going to carve a special deal out for the city, then it's a Brexit for bankers. And why should bankers get a special deal rather than manufacturers or small businesses? Well, I think it's quite a good line of attack for Labour to make, actually, the idea that the Tories are still on the side of the city and, and the kind of rich rather than everyone like Theresa May said she wanted to be, you know, not just for the privileged few. But it does make sense as a as a line. I think also the point he's making is that it's a chaotic Brexit or chaotic breakfast, as he said, which is, you know, why kind of kind of things, sort of, yeah, things sort of come out piecemeal, bit by bit, leaks, you know, what's the actual plan here, feeds into the idea of it being a kind of secret plan behind closed doors. But also the bigger point he was making about the cause of Brexit, about voters, disenfranchised voters in the coastal towns who feel the economy hasn't been working for them for you know years and years and years. So he was trying to tie what deal we make with Europe with what's been going on in the economy over a long period of time. Yeah. Um, he did get stepped on a bit, though, because the Nissan announcement that yeah. they're going to build this new car in the Sunderland plant was released, I think, about 10 minutes before he stopped to speak, which was a, probably a bit irritating. Cause Can it has, he move by number yeah. 10 and by Greg Clark? It, it, it did step on his yeah. limelight a bit. And th- the interesting thing, didn't you think, was that just the passion with which John McDonnell talks about this subject... It is a reminiscent of Lexit, Labour exit, Labour Brexit and the it Labour Leave campaign. You know, the, the, he's embracing Brexit, saying, look, this is a chance for us to to shift the dial back in favour of the, the many, not the few, and not have a right, right-wing neoliberal economic approach to the world. It's like, um, it's not quite, sh- it doesn't make you think actually that he was a yes voter in the referendum, right. let alone his boss. No, it doesn't. I think when he's when he's speaking, you can see he's not one of those Labour MPs that wants to rerun the referendum. And he says this a lot. You know, we're not going to do it again. We are leaving. But it's about getting the best deal, which he would see would be kind of a, a reshaping of the economy, using it as an opportunity almost to, to change what the consensus has been for so long. Yeah. And Martha, another key Brexiteer, um, other than John McDonnell, uh, <laughs> Brexiteer, um, who's come back this week is Michael Gove, the lovely Mr. Michael Gove. Now, he was... Uh, re- it was elected onto the Brexit Select Committee. You were following that. Well, what do you think that that will do to help his profile? He's one of the he, he, of the of the team who's on that committee. He's kind of one of the most high profile. So that will only that'll only uh, work in his favour to get him back into the limelight. He's also kind of started appearing on broadcast programmes again. He was on the World at One, saying that he, you know he'd 
he'd welcome a chance to get back onto the front bench. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly on the Brexit Select Committee. I think I think a role scrutinising what the government's doing over Brexit will not necessarily endear him yeah. uh, to Theresa May. Um, Particularly on immigration. He, he said it was quite interesting. Uh, on the immig- he's doing a new group. He's launching this w- today with uh, Morris Glassman, the Labour peer. He's talking about how actually there needs to be no special treatment for EU migrants on, in, under the new arrangements post-Brexit. And that's right. not what the Treasury is saying. They're saying, look, actually, we need these Europeans. We need the high skills. And he's being quite hardline. He's, he's trying to say, look, he, he is trying to rerun the referendum in many ways and saying, <laughs> look, you know, mm. we won. This is what the people wanted. Do you reckon he's kind of he's he's joining the cabal against Hammond? Is he sort of siding with them, or is he just being Govan off on his own kind of? No, I think he's trying to help trajectory. some of those people yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in cabinet. Not Boris, of course. Yeah, <laughs> that committee's going to be interesting, isn't it? You've got Hillary Benn as the chair, kind of ardent Remainer, and then you've got Gove and Wingdale and um, uh, Raab. The kind of arch Brexiteers, alongside some Emma Reynolds, I think, is on it as well as a Labour Remainer. Yeah. It's are, a va- are they going to agree anything? I mean, it's, it's a vast committee, isn't it? And some there have been some kind of MPs grumbling on, on the Remain side that the government that, that, that this has been engineered in order to make it just incredibly inefficient <laughs> with all these this vast number of dissenting voices. And it'll never get anything agreed. Yeah, Twenty-one people on a select committee. I mean, that's, yeah, that's all big names pretty as big. Well, kind of, they're not. Yeah, they're, they're all going to. It's going to. It, curiously, what it reminds me of is an EU summit where, every, <laughs> where everyone gets to have their say. 27 people, you go around the table. And that, that actually, curiously, is the problem with the EU, according to a lot of Brexiteers. Here you have a 21-strong select committee. Yeah. And it could end up being like the liaison committee where you get all the heads of committees together to question the Prime Minister. And it's always the easiest thing for them to do because it's just them with their egos wanting to make their point on the TV rather than actually any yeah. coordinated scrutiny of... Of, of, of what the policy is exactly and that's the problem you know Tony Blair famously used to knock the liaison committee yeah. you know across the park and so did Cameron because he knew what was coming they do have advance notice of the topics for example and I suspect they won't have that in this case in the Brexit select committee but I don't think David Davis and or the Prime Minister when they're called before it will be necessarily quaking in their boots should we say because they'll know a lot of these these people are going to want to make headlines but it could, work, it could be difficult. Let's see. I mean, let's see how much... If they just insist on stonewalling, for example, until March, yeah. um, then, you know, we're not going to get nowhere. But after that, it could be interesting, this committee. It could be the most interesting mm. set of hearings we'll have in the entire parliament. So let's see. Um, now, the, the other curious thing about Michael Gove, of course, is that um, in many ways... He is the guy who says, look, hard Brexit. He hates the phrase because, you know, it's made make to sound, made, makes a liberation sound like a punishment. I mean, and he said that on Sky News today. And he was interviewed by Adam Bolton. It was quite interesting that he, yeah. he, he was nailed again and again about his disloyalty and treachery towards uh, Boris Johnson. Yeah, I think it, what his plan must be, as Martha's saying, if he wants to make a comeback, he knows he has to go through these questions in the first few interviews to kind of get out of the system. And Adam Boswell was having great fun. I think at the end of the interview, he sort of said, well, that was a good laugh. I'm not quite <laughs> sure whether, whether Gove agreed. But, you know, Gove, he did agree. He did kind of admit it was a mistake for him to, to run for leader and sort of he shouldn't have really done it in the way he did. But I suppose he just assumes, OK, these questions will come. I'll be kind of good-humoured about it. And then people will get bored asking me about that. Yeah, it, I thought that was on. interesting, the mistake line. Because he, he said not only was it a mistake for him to run, but he, he also admitted that, look, it was a sm- mistake in terms of Boris for me either to have... I should have either paused before I supported Boris or I should have maintained my support for Boris yeah. and should have stuck by him. That's the first <laughs> glimmer of a sort of admission yeah, I, I of loved guilt. On, um, he was on World at One and yesterday and he was asked if it was betrayal. And he said, you know, he kind of was trying to say he didn't betray Boris and, 
And it's like, well, really? Because it's just not, I know. It's not a credible answer, is it? I know. I think you should just apologise, say, I'm really sorry, admit the treachery, and then move on. I think that's the only way you mm. can actually you know, yeah. have a proper comeback. But let's see. Right. Okay. That's the perfect time now to go on to the quiz. Ned, you've got a surprise for us. Yeah, it's so it's a quiz. It's about it's about airports. It's called um, Heath Low. It's like Heathrow, Heath Low, or Heath High. What this is, so Ooh. Heathrow's northern runway yep. is three thousand nine hundred and two meters long. I'm gonna give you some other airports in the world. <laughs> Are you gonna tell me whether the runway is longer, longer or, or shorter, shorter <laughs> than <laughs> Heathrow? Okay. So if it's three thousand meters, three thousand nine hundred. Oh, okay, okay, fine. So if it's if it's shorter, Heath Low, lower. Yeah. If it's longer. Heath High. That doesn't work as a name, but I can't think do. of That'll do. Yeah, that's good. Owen so, will be proud. So, okay, so um, JFK, in, that's New York's airport, one of them, is that longer or shorter than Heathrow's longest runway? Oh, shorter, sure, right, yeah. shorter, because it's on a sort of yeah, this strip of built land, up isn't it? area. Yeah. Is it a sort of peninsula? Good, good analysis. It's wrong. It's longer. It's <laughs> 4,423. <laughs> God. Okay, so how about Wellington in New Zealand? Oh my God, Ned, um. you've really trolled the net for this. I mean, say it's it's longer net, because I, I it sounds like it's going to be. This isn't New Zealand. Is Wellington built up? Is it near some mountains? Wellington. I feel like it's probably got a lot of lovely countryside around it. Yeah. Uh, which long. I think it's probably he- Heath High. Heath High. No, it's much shorter. <laughs> it's uh, one thousand nine hundred thirty-six. It's actually the runway's right there, big mountain. It's really scary. I was wondering about uh, the mountain point. I just um, okay, so uh, how about Sydney? I've actually flown into Sydney, but that won't help me <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, mm, Sydney. Let's longer go. or shorter? I'm going to go for shorter. Okay, well, Martha? I'm going to go for longer just to see who wins. It is longer, just. Oh. It's oh. 3,962. So and he throws three thousand nine hundred and two. So mm, it's wow. okay. You I suppose you've got lots of this of ridiculous question. Okay, so what about Bangkok? Short, shorter, definitely. Yeah, it must be shorter. Surely built up. Must be shorter. Uh, you're right. It is, but only just. It's three thousand seven hundred. Uh-huh. So there's a quiz about runway. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're, we're turning into plane spotters. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Now on to more serious matters. Now there was an opposition day motion yesterday in the Commons. Nothing unusual about that. Uh, but what was unusual was that nearly half of the Labour Party failed to vote for their own motion. Emily Thornbury uh, had called on the UK to, quote, suspend all support, close quotes, to the Yemeni government because of war crimes being committed by it and its Saudi allies. Now, here is the Shadow Foreign Secretary explaining her outrage at Foreign Minister Tobias Elwood's response to claims of an attack on innocent civilians. Because when asked at the weekend about the late latter incident, the Under Secretary of State... Uh, the member for Bournemouth East, called it, and I quote, a deliberate error, by which I believe he meant at least one individual within the coalition forces was able to deliberately unleash this terrible attack, killing 140 civilians without the authorisation of the coalition command in Riyadh. Now, Jeremy Corbyn raised Saudi Arabia in PMQs, his final two questions. He attacked the Saudi Arabian uh, dictatorship, is what he called them. Um, But what's striking about last night was just how many Labour MPs 
intervened on Thornbury, their own shadow foreign secretary, to say she misunderstood completely a complex situation and risked undermining it with sort of gesture politics. And it's quite interesting. I was told by some Labour MPs they'd all been sent a, a, a personal letter um, before that debate by the uh, Yemeni ambassador pleading with them not to vote for it and saying this could really undermine the, the situation there. So that's why some of them decided not to back their own party. However, you know, this morning we see in the Times a front page photo, really uh, awful photo of an 18-year-old girl, a Yemeni, who's been um, malnourished. Really shocking photo of the, 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 the starvation that's going on there. It's not just people being uh, raped and killed. There's a massive problem with, uh, with food in parts of Yemen. And this is the forgotten war. There's no question about it. And it's interesting. I mean, what do you think, Ned? Do you think that um, Corbyn and Thornbury are right, maybe, to put this on the map? Is that what oppositions do? And particularly, I mean, I've seen online, a lot of those Labour MPs who decided not to vote uh, for with their own party yesterday are being accused of being complicit in war crimes, being part of the old Blairite right, uh, the fact that they, you know, they, they don't have a problem with their consciences on this. A lot of people, Corbynistas, are saying, look, that's what's wrong with the Labour Party. That's why Jeremy is what's right with the Labour Party. I think the point about putting it on the map is maybe an interesting thing here. Now, whether whatever side of the vote you think you should have come down on it, it has been the forgotten war. We've been so focused on Syria as much as even that and Aleppo. Yeah. What's been going on in Yemen has been totally ignored. And I think, I, is this the first time it's been this point on the front page of the papers? I can't. I think that's true. I can't think of a time when this, this war, this story has been being the front page. So in that sense, yeah, I think um, what Corbyn's done there has worked. And if you remember, he, this before, didn't he, last year he raised Saudi Arabia and arms deal, arms sales rather, in his first conference speech. That's and true. he had quite a bit of a success there because it did focus attention on what Britain's role in, in weapons sales were. Yeah. So it's probably what maybe he's trying to do again is just to, to shift the focus a bit onto yeah. it. And I think that's a, that's a good thing. Whatever you think of, of the mm. conflict itself, what side we should do it, and I think the that focus is necessary. That conference speech, it was interesting that Michael Gove, who was then Justice Secretary, actually did change policy. Mm. We didn't renew uh, a, a contract that we had between the British government and um, the Saudis. And it's quite interesting that on this, in PMQs, Corbyn made a slightly separate point from the from the debate in the Commons. He was talking about, well, you know, why should we be supporting Saudi Arabia being members of the hu UN Human Rights Committee? And it's coming up for re-election, and isn't this just ridiculous, the very idea that the Saudis mm. could be on that? And he might be, I think some Labour MPs think he's on stronger ground there, even those who have worries about, you know, our arms ties and very important ties with the Saudis on intelligence. Mm. Um, what do you think, Martha? Well, I mean, I, th I, I, I would agree that it's incredibly important uh, that Labour has brought this up and it's great that the focus has been, has been shifted to it. But I think the, the empty gesture politics uh, would hit home because, in fact, Thornbury didn't go as far as sort of suggesting that we shouldn't sell arms uh, to Saudi true. Arabia. She true. didn't. She, she merely sort of, perhaps you can clarify on this what, what she did suggest, but, 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 but it was sort of, words like scrutiny and re-examine what we're doing. So I'm not quite sure what uh, what effect this will have other than highlighting the issue. Her motion Important was specifically about supporting the UK, pulling its support from the Yemeni government, you see. Right. So that was the focus. And she thinks that actually this is going to be a big area, um, the fact that the Saudis have these different spheres of influence. And she thinks she's the only... Western, or certainly a British or American leading politician to really push this issue. So I th she thinks she's going to be proved right in the long term. Mm. And that the, that's why they had the vote yesterday, to embarrass the Tories into voting against it. But let's see. I mean, she's got quite a, a team around her who think strategically. So 
we don't know. But what was interesting was just that gap with the PLP. I mean, the, the, the sort of vitriol, people like John Woodcock, you know, Toby Perkins, Kevin Jones, they all intervened on her yesterday as if she was a Tory minister. And it was quite, quite a thing. And she obviously got quite riled at one point. And I, I thought the, the significant thing was just the depth of that anger amongst them. It was almost as if, look, on foreign policy, we're not going to let this lie. On domestic policy, Jeremy, you can have what you like. We'll, we'll go quiet. So that's interesting. Was it, you think, the kind of the, their anger, their, how strong they intervened on her? Was that about this particular issue? Or was it kind of a build-up of uh, all the other foreign policy things that much of the PLP disagree with? And this finally was the one they felt they could... You know, it, it kind of built up so much they were yeah. had enough. I think that's a good point. I mean, you're right. It it plays into a wider worry amongst the PLP on things like Syria and Russia, for example. You know, only the other week, you know, we have Jeremy Corbyn's spokesman suggesting that there's Britain and the yeah. world's attention has been distracted by Aleppo away from the American war mm. crimes or rather the American civilian casualties. And only this week, Amnesty had a, a big report showing 300 civilian casualties uh, as a result of American airstrikes in Syria. Uh, and it's interesting, both sides are digging in. You've got Corbyn and his team saying, look, we're right. Amnesty's proving we're right to say it's not just the Russians. And you've got the Labour PLP saying, actually, you're being incredibly naive about Russia. And I thought this week, it, it was interesting, you think, Martha, in PMQs, when, when Corbyn raised the Saudis, but the person who raised the Russians was Angus Robertson. And he was the yeah. one saying, you know, shouldn't we be putting pressure on the Spanish government not to help refuel this As a aircraft Russian carrier? Empire sailed down the coast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, it, it, and it worked because the, the Spanish did deny that permission in the end. Um, so you've got Corbyn not mentioning it. You've got Angus Robertson mentioning it and getting a hit. I thought that was interesting. I wonder if he didn't... I I wonder if he didn't mention Russia because it would have given Theresa May a, a kind of some she would have hit back with a some kind of Russia joke about Corbyn. And that might be in bad taste given yeah. the situation. Yeah, she might have. I mean, it was, I thought it was significant that it was almost as if Russia is the thing that Corbyn won't speak mm. about. Um, yeah. But that's a difficult place to be if you're a Labour leader, yeah. isn't it? I yeah, mean, you can't. I mean, you can't. You, well, in any leader, particularly Labour leader, <laughs> you can't just ignore Russia. <laughs> but there is this wider problem, as we've just mentioned, between the PLP, the continuing sort of uneasy truce. I mean, I was at PLP this week, and there, there were outside it, and there was no, there's no real story. Just the, the previous week, it was all quiet. It, th there's coming to an accommodation. They they, they want to give Corbyn a fair win, but on foreign policy, it's interesting. It's now, Ned, you interviewed. Sam Tarry, one of Corbyn's, yeah. you know, leading lieutenants, and it was an in-depth interview, mm. and he talked there about what he felt the PLP was doing wrong. I think it's interesting. I think you're right. There is sort of this weird calm. I mean, it's not, you know, relati relative to what has been going on in the mm. party for the last year or so. It does seem to be kind of just going through kind of parliamentary motions and talking to Sam, who, yeah, he ran or helped to run Jeremy's second leadership campaign. He's a councillor in Barking. He works for the TSSA uh, trade union as well. And he's, got, he's quite critical of a lot of kind of the, the right of the PLP, just basically saying they've got no ideas. And it was interesting that his point was, you know, even if what the Corbyn team is doing isn't perfect, and even if the kind of new left, you know, around him isn't the ultimate solution, at least they've got something. Mm. Whereas his point was these other MPs have got nothing. They've got no analysis of the situation. You know, they're not going to win an election either. So we've, that's kind of the best chance of the party is this emerging new left. He called them intellectually bankrupt. Intellectually bankrupt. <laughs> you know, it's very scathing, particularly scathing of Owen Smith's campaign. You know, he's saying you know, they just wanted to burn the party to the ground rather than let Corbyn, Corbyn win. Also interesting, he's very critical of how Labour runs elections. He just thinks on a practical way, wh whatever your kind of position in the party is ideologically, he just thinks the party's not fit to run an election campaign. He thinks it's lagging behind. 
and he was quite keen, <laughs> to the irritation of many people in Labour HQ, I can tell you, saying that you know they need to kind of take the lessons of the Corbyn campaign and transfer them into Labour HQ because the Corbyn campaign was very efficient, and he thinks Labour Party's not up to it. And this kind of, like I said, has not not gone down great. <laughs> well, certainly, what is, is he's got right is that in the leadership campaign, the Corbyn team were efficient. They were they had key messages. They boy did they they you know characterize owen smith within hours mm. as a, a you know a blairite yeah. you know pharmaceutical manufacturer um and you know they got their framing perfect but they're also very efficient on social media they they knocked it out of the park on facebook as well yeah. as twitter in terms of organizing people and turning up at rallies now the big challenge of course is can you translate that beyond the labor membership to you know uh, yeah do and, average and that, and that's thing, i think you know if you're you run corbyn's plan you know that audience you know the labor party audience and how to win over them is that necessarily the same thing as knowing how to win over voters at large and do the same methods and the same approach work to what social media he, he was very keen on the idea that you know, in Scotland, he said the Scottish Tories had a really effective campaign. They use Facebook really well. Now, Labour Party is actually kind of starting to do some of this stuff better and better. They've got plans to do some of what uh, Tari was talking about. So whether this isn't sort of sending a message, do we need to do it quicker? I don't know. But whether they can, you know, could you transfer that Corbyn campaign to a, a general election? I don't know. They, they obviously think they can. What was interesting, you say... Labour HQ was irritated by the interview. I, I can tell you Labour MPs were very yes. irritated by it because I one told me that, you know, um, hey, we're all intellectually bankrupt, have you heard? Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> they, they didn't go down that well. But then again, I suppose Sam Terry didn't mean it to go down that well. No. The interesting thing is, and we, we're coming full circle here, Martha, um, there's been some gossip that Sam Terry could be the Labour candidate in Richmond <laughs> in the by-election. Well, in, in the interview, yeah, he said he might like to run for an MP and he's been says he's been pressured to do it. So some of the moderates are saying, go on then, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Richard Angel from Progress has wrote a blog for us this week saying, you know, he knows Sam of old. I think they're old sparring partners mm. from, from student union days. But uh, he said, look, let, you're right, put your money's where your mouth is. Let's see if this works in Richmond. Um, which, to be honest, I talked to some moderate people within Labour HQ who said, actually, it's not that mad an idea. He is a really good campaigner. He's a really good campaigner. Charismatic, he's a very public speaker as well. Very charismatic. He might actually, you know, he's the perfect embodiment of where Corbyn is right now. He'd be the, you know, a great sort of shop window for Corbynism. Mm. And I mean, is that going to go down well in Richmond? <laughs> well, it's a better idea than not putting up a candidate at all, which was yeah. the room for a little while. <laughs> I know, curious. The, I think the big problem in Richmond is... An, as someone who lives there, is, again, the, the John McDonnell point about bankers' Brexit. If people in Richmond think that Labour is anti uh, the City of London, when many, many of them rely on jobs in the City of London and Canary Wharf, and they're not fat cat bankers, a lot of them are in tech jobs, they're in you know supply-side jobs, some of them, you know, they're, they're even secretarial jobs, and there are 100,000 jobs linked to the city. Uh, McDonald admitted that this morning. I think in Richmond that might, might not really yeah. work as a yeah, sell. Yeah. But <laughs> Save that for somewhere else in the country. I think, but yeah. we'll see. Anyway, we'll, well, it's going to be an interesting by-election. So on that note, I thank you all for listening, and we'll see you all next week. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view an endless field of wildflowers or a sunset that needs no filter. 
Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.